everyone. Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I have with me Chase. What's up? And we are a paranormal horror podcast. I like to tell each other scary, true scary stories. And allegedly. Also, <laughs> allegedly. And also have a few drinks. In particular, today, we are having many drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been like a makeup for all the other times that you haven't been able to drink. It's been a while since I've drank. Yeah, so we are going to have many today. Um, also, it is Friday the 13th, so I'm pretty well, excited about that. We're recording oh, Friday sure. the 13th. Today so. is, so I'm very happy about that. Like, I feel every time it's a Friday the 13th, this overwhelming need to watch Friday one of the, the Friday the 13th <laughs> movies. The first one's my favorite, but yeah, I just, I can't help it. I just want to see them. Yeah, I think we should. We should probably do this after, but it'll probably be really late because we're kind of doing this a little late too. Uh, yeah, so I don't know what else updates or, like, things that we have to say other than I hope you guys are drinking, too, because I think you're going to have a really good time this episode. And on that note, we should take a shot. Yeah. My first, my oh, God. first shot while, while recording in a long time. In a very long time. Cheers. <laughs> How was it? <laughs> I wasn't ready for it. That <laughs> was a lot. Yeah, we haven't really been taking too many shots these days are we i don't know if my liver's ready for it either but maybe that's a good thing i think that's a good thing i think we're Sneak gonna attack i'm really excited that we're drinking like pretty hard right now because i'm just so curious how you're gonna handle when you tell your story <laughs> oh great it's gonna be so much fun <laughs> all my fun technical like all right all right let's see let's see what drunk chase does let's see what you do i, I don't know okay so i guess i'll just get into my story this one is called Panteón de Belén, a.k.a. Santa Paula Cemetery, but it's best known by the locals as the Belén Cemetery, which is how I'm going to refer to now. It's Spanish because it's in Mexico. It's located in Jalisco, Mexico, in the city of Guadalajara. Um, I actually started researching this story a long time ago, but for whatever reason, I put it aside, and I have no idea why, because when I revisited and basically finished the research... It had like a ton of great wild stories and lore. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I, I feel like you probably haven't, but I just thought I'd ask. It doesn't sound familiar, but I mean, find me a graveyard and I'll find you a place that I truly believe might be haunted. So. <laughs> exactly. It's just like one of a million. So at the moment, the idea is not surprising, but I'm wondering what specific form of haunting is going on there. Yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. I'm going to share a little bit of history. Uh, going a little further back before the cemetery was opened, in 1793, the Hospital Belen was inaugurated, and that's where the name eventually came from. Mm -hmm. and then not long after that, the Mexican War of Independence started, which lasted 11 years, ending in 1821. Although the war ended and the imperial rule of Spain uh, as well, and allowed the first Mexican empire to begin, like any war, it felt... It left its citizens to deal with the wake of destruction, as you know. Oh, yeah. It also didn't help that Spain attempted to conquer or reconquer Mexico every few years with many battles, but <laughs> they always lost, so whatever. So predictable. <laughs> so Spanish of them. Uh, by 1833, famine and disease with uh, things like cholera and just other diseases like that were pretty epidemic at the time. A little over a decade of this, the hospitals began running out of room, and they quickly needed space to bury the dead. Mm -hmm. Enter the cemetery. So by 1848, they decided to use the orchard that was next to the hospital to convert it into a cemetery. Oh, that's kind of like, it's sad that people are dying, but it's also sad that orchards, which are like <laughs> some of the coolest things in the world, they're like, we've got Tony dead people. Let's also destroy an orchard and make this yeah. a double sad. I mean, it's just, yeah, you have to do what you got to do. When the cemetery was originally built, it had two sections. One section was for the common folk, and the other section was for wealthy and historical figures. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> they really segregated. You think, you think everybody dies? That's like the great equalizer, but they're like, no. But even after death, we're right. going to set It's oh. like the whole, everyone bleeds red. Everyone's the same after so death. Scummy. And I'm like, well, not in this case. However, this didn't last very long because when the hospital decided to build uh, the second tower of medical specialties, the section where the common folk were buried, quote, <laughs> disappeared. 
Oh my God. Um, and the new building was built in its place. Later, when the building would be renovated, they found that the foundation were, uh, had like thousands of bodies underneath it. And since no one would know which body belonged to who or sure. anything like that, obviously no one can claim them. And so they were just moved to a different place, uh, mm. just kind of like bunched up, I suppose. So anyway, if anyone is curious, yes, the hospital is also very haunted. But that's a story for another day. So we're not going to talk about that today. Is the hospital still functioning or is it? It's still functioning. It's It has a different name though now. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's still there. The remaining part of the cemetery was eventually turned into a museum. Uh, there hadn't been any new burial since, ni- or not 19, 1896. But the countless of paranormal stories has since surfaced. So So wait, wait. Uh, just, just so I understand this correctly. Yes. They built a museum over all the dead bodies. No, 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 no. no. So the cemetery... The rich part, or like the nicer part of the cemetery, was preserved. So it's still a cemetery. And it's considered a museum now. Like, it's got like, it's historical, if that makes sense. But But, I mean, it's not like, it's not like indoors now. People don't go look at graves and go to a gift shop. It's all still outside. It's still very much a cemetery. But they call it a museum now because there's like a visiting center and like... It's like a historical cemetery. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. We went to one of those when we were in Florence, the English cemetery. Yeah, exactly. Very similar, for sure. It's just like now historical. Understood. All right. Yeah. I'm glad we clarified that because I was picturing some (laughs) like above cemetery museum. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This one they actually tried to save, I guess. So the description of the cemetery, just so you have more of a visualization, I suppose, it has very interesting architectural elements. It was designed by a famous architect. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name was Manuel Gomez Ibarra, who drew influence from French architecture, which would have been very common around the time anyway. Um, Other influences included Neo-Gothic and Baroque. There's even a small chapel in the center of the cemetery with a pointy roof that has Egyptian influence. So this is a very interesting looking cemetery it's a patchwork that's weird yeah i really recommend looking up pictures you're just like where am i it's pretty cool looking um so i'm just gonna go into the legends that was my brief history i hope you had fun but now we're gonna get a little creepy the first story is about ignacio torres altamirano he is also known as nachito so like little nacho <laughs> um on may 24th 1882 a big storm hit the city that night, Natito's parents uh, put the little boy of about 10 years old. Some say he was maybe more five. It's hard to determine because if you look at the tombstone, it only has his death date. True. So anyway, the child suffered from nicotophobia. I think it's how you, nicotophobia. I have no idea what that is. Nicotophobia. I have no idea how to say it. I should have looked this up. I wrote it down. I'm like, <laughs> I totally know is what that is. he scared of nicotine? Yes. No. <laughs> Um, it is a fear of the dark, an extreme fear of the dark. I think like a lot of people are just afraid of the dark because you can't see anything. Hmm. But this is like an intense. I guess I de- never debilitating. heard what the actual scientific term for that was for. Because I mean, yeah, every kid's scared of the dark. I think dark. I've seen it written, and that's what I'm saying. Like I just saw it, and I'm like, I know exactly what that is. But I guess I've never said it out loud because wow, that that was hard. Anyway. Since this is kind of common for children, like I said, this was an extreme case. So because of this, the parents would leave oil lamps lit in his room at night. Usually it would only be one, but because it was a kind of a stormy night, they decided to leave two on in his bedroom just to really ensure that... Calm him down. Right, just to like make sure that he wouldn't be too scared. But because of the violent storm, at some point in the night, the window must have like opened or something because okay. it blew out the the candles or like they're like oil lamps and the child would have been screaming and probably asking for help but the parents never heard anything at least what they said Mm. because the next morning when they went into his room the child was not moving and they were worried that you know maybe he like passed out because he was so scared or something but no he had died was he scared to death so that is kind of like what people are saying like he's literally scared to death. Oh, but, you know, other people are saying like it was probably just like some sort of heart attack, like just something that really would have distressed the child um, enough to, to perish. Other more sinister theories is that the reason why he was afraid of the dark, and this is like other, this is kind of like another storytelling of Najito. It was because of maybe something was haunting him at night, and that's why he was so afraid of the night. And uh, it could have been like an evil spirit or a demon that like 
caught him that night. I don't know. Finally got away with it because the light was out. Right. So they were like, oh, this is my moment, which is, I don't know. It doesn't, this one doesn't really fit the rest of the story. So I don't really think that's what happened, but so I'll let you decide. But this is where things get a little weird. Not long after Nachito was buried at the Belen Cemetery, the groundskeeper discovered the coffin above ground and the lid slightly open. Mm. I cannot imagine what the family must have been going through, but uh, when they heard the news, you know, they were like, just, you know, put them back in the ground, you know what I mean? Like, we'll just try to get past this. Yeah. However, this allegedly happened nine more times. Oh my God, that's really fucked up. And the groundskeeper was like, what is happening? Because he would, he even specifically, especially after the first time, would would go check on the grave in the middle of the night just to make sure that everything was okay and everything was fine. It wasn't until the next morning where they were like, oh my God, I don't know how this happened. Uh, the parents though were kind of like, I think I know what's going on. Because he's so afraid of the dark when he was alive, they think that he's doing it. Like, he is resurrecting the tomb. He doesn't want to be buried in the dark. He doesn't want to be buried in the dark. So what they ended up doing is that they built a mausoleum above with four torches around so that they can be lit at night. And ever since then, nothing ever happened. And that's money. Yeah, well, this was the rich side of the the cemetery. (laughs) I was like, because if you're like, hey... I want to light a candle or four torches for for this dead person for all of eternity. I'm like, man, that's... Yeah, exactly. So that is how you see the tomb today. There have been many sightings since of the boy, or rather each small child that kind of lingers around the tomb, often in 1800s clothing. But is he seen wandering around at night when it's... At night, yes. Ah, Definitely. So it's not like just some kid (laughs) in the neighborhood. No, no, no. Like, this is pretty much legit like ghostly experiences um other things that happen is people will see balloons floating evenly on its own like around three feet high and even if it's windy they still see yeah it doesn't fly away like a little kid is holding it but you don't see the child Mm. yeah uh some believe that he will play tricks on you so when visiting the cemetery, a lot of them will leave him toys or candy or so other. They leave him alone. So they'll leave him alone. It's kind of like a way to distract him. So like instead of because he just wants to play, but you're kind of like there at the middle of the night and you're like, this is not the time. Mm-hmm. So you're like, here, play with this candy or like toy. You know, you could totally solve this problem by not visiting a cemetery <laughs> at night. I feel like if you're gonna go, you I, might as well. I'm picking a wild theory here, but <laughs> this is too wild, Chase. Out of control. Um, so, yeah, that's what they would do in order for them to not, like, be too spooked when they take the tour. But other people kind of do it because they don't want him to feel sad. So it's kind of like a here. It's caring. Play with it. Yeah, so it's different, too. I think he could do with a Spider-Man toy. I'm just saying. <laughs> they didn't have Spider-Man in the 1800s. That's probably why everyone was so sad. Aw, that's why. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> that's why they were sad. <laughs> Cholera and no Spider-Man. No, right, right, right. I was like, it's definitely not the diseases. Uh, a little more ominously, if you steal one of Nachito's toys, he'll follow you until you return it. Mm. So he'll kind of like keep playing tricks on you and stuff like that. Although I don't know if that one's very true, because let me tell you. <laughs> I've stolen so many toys. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have a bag That's full. That's totally where it sounds like you're gone. <laughs> I've stolen like three toys and I ain't seen crap. Yeah, I was like, uh, nothing's happened. No, no, no. So like, because when it's Children's Day, which is April 30th, Many people come visit the grave and donate toys. So like new stuff and all that good stuff because the caretakers will collect them on that day and donate them to local hospitals for the children that are terminally ill. So I think that's kind of like a really cool thing that they do. And as far as I know, Nachito's totally cool with that. Like he doesn't get mad. So as long as it's going to something good. I mean, it'd make him a bit of a dick if he stalks <laughs> terminally ill children. Well, yeah, like, I don't think he follows those kids and, like, torments them or anything. So I think it's, he's he's okay. But yeah, like, if you go to the cemetery, he tends to be the most active, if I'm not mistaken. That is, like, recognizable. Other than maybe feeling like being touched or or seeing a shadowy figure. You mean of all the creepy stuff in the cemetery, he's, like, the most prominent one? Is that what you mean? Yeah, like, the more distinctive ghost if that makes sense yeah so the next story uh is victoriana hurtado 
Victoriana was born in 1833, and since she was a small child, she suffered from catalepsy. For those who may not know, and I myself wasn't too sure what the difference was, catalepsy is a medical condition characterized by trance or seizure with a loss of sensation or concussion accompanied by rigidity of the body. So I was like, oh, so epilepsy? But she, like, stiffens up. and Right. So there really isn't any convulsions, not the same exact uh, reaction. There's sheep that do that, too. Like, there's those sheep. sheep that if you scare them, their whole body just goes stiff and they fall over. And it's because oh, they're so having that might some be. seizures. Yeah, so that might be the same then. If it's kind of like... Yeah, because sometimes um, what happens is when they stiffen their body, it could be in the position that they were in before. Mm. So, like, if they were sitting down, they would be yep. having an episode that way. Yep. So, anyway... Despite her condition, she had children, she raised them, and everything. Now, of course, this helped because her parents were very wealthy, so that probably helped out the situation. Once her children were grown up, they were pretty spoiled and just terrible human beings because they wanted their mother to die so they can inherit that fortune. So what they did is, one day, they came up with a plan and said, hey, we'll just wait until mom has one of her episodes will take her to the grave and bury her alive. That's really fucked up. Really, really messed up. So that's exactly what they did. Thinking they succeeded, they went back home and celebrated. Meanwhile, back in the uh, cemetery, the groundskeeper that was there that night recalls hearing a woman screaming, like a muffled noise, like he didn't know where it was coming from and had no idea what was going on, but he never found the source. That morning... Or rather, like, later. I don't know if it was, like, the next day or anything like that. But he eventually found a hand of a woman coming out of the ground. And he knew it was, like, obviously someone that was buried there. So they unburied her, realized she was buried alive at some point. She never made it out. But, yeah, so they knew that she was murdered, essentially is what I'm saying. So I'm going to call shenanigans on this story. (laughs) Only because the kids wanted the inheritance so they buried her alive. How are they going to explain, like, that she's dead? I think they were probably going to say they that... They have to exhume her. Like, what's going on? She ran away? Maybe. I don't know. Abandonment? I'm not buying this. Anyway, so it doesn't matter, because, like, at first I was like, well, they would be accused of murder. But I guess this was more speculation that it was the kids. No one really knows for sure. They just assumed it was because they were so spoiled and... And we're pretty ready for her to die. They just wanted some money. They just wanted money. Since no one was able to prove the children didn't murder them, they eventually went to the reading of the will. And joke's on them, because Victoriana left her fortune to local charities. Nice. So they didn't get shit. Good woman. (laughs) Well, if you have the kinds of kids that are going to bury you alive, I'm pretty sure you know it ahead of time. Right. It's not like, oh, my son's so sweet. And then all of a sudden he buries me. I'm like, I never saw that coming. Nah. Yeah. You know. You know. You know. It's kind of like those, you know, every serial killer has parents, right? Sure. And so you know <laughs> some of those parents, like when they hear, yeah, your son or daughter, it's always a son though, who uh, found out he's a serial killer, the parent goes, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. It's like, I still love him, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you though? <laughs> or do you have to say that? Uh, so... There is also speculation that maybe Victoriana cursed her children after death because Mm. each one of them died fairly young and penniless. Well, it's possible because they got into like drugs and scandalous stuff just to get money. And, you know, we know the age old story. (laughs) Yep. That's what happened. (laughs) So this is the next tombstone story is of a pirate. And this one's not as depressing, so Wait, just finally. like a pirate? So here we go. Yes. <laughs> so this is in Mexico City, right? Oh, no, you said Jalisco. So it's kind of close to water. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking this is like super inland, and I'm like, what the hell is a pirate? That's like having a pirate well, like, grave in Denver. You're like, wait, what are you doing there? <laughs> or just here as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's like, a how desert? far from the water are you? Is this why you died? Because you tried to like sail in the middle of a desert? He's like, all right. I had to get really. <laughs> I guess it's closer to water. There's reason. Okay. There is. There is. Don't worry about it. This pirate once sailed the Pacific in his younger years, and he managed to obtain an impressive collection of riches, obviously. 
Otherwise, he'd be a terrible pirate. <laughs> He's <laughs> just a dick on the water at that He's point. He's just an asshole now. <laughs> yeah. um, by the time he was middle-aged, he decided to settle down in the city of Guadalajara to live the rest of his years. While he was there, he decided to bury a large portion of his treasure in a secret place within the city. But he never told anyone where that was. They just kind of knew where, you know, he they knew that it had been somewhere. If that was us, we would have buried it when we were drunk. And the reason we didn't tell anyone <laughs> is because we didn't remember. Like, I actually don't know where it is. <laughs> where did you, you put our wallets? I don't know. I was trying to hide them from, like, the government. Turns I have no out, idea. I am the government. <laughs> you would have just flushed them down the toilet. Like, take that government. I just burned it. <laughs> So anyway, (laughs) I think he probably knew, but maybe not. Maybe he had too much rum. We all do. There's a legend that if you visit his grave at midnight and pray, he may reveal the location of the treasure. This, of course, is believed to be whether or not you're worthy. Mm. So it's kind of like the sorcerer and the stone. It's like you can only get the fortune. You mean the sword and the stone? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think the Sorcerer in the Stone is the first, is close to the first Harry Potter book. <laughs> the Sorcerer's Stone. Is it the Sorcerer's Stone? Oh, well, that's in, right. In America, in the... and I think in England, it was the Philosopher's Stone. Because I think it has a slight change in title. But Sword in the Stone was about pulling the sword out if you were worthy. It's all sorcery to me, okay? So. <laughs> <laughs> the Sorcerer's Stone. And the Stone. All right, we'll go with it. Um. Anyway. What I was going to say <laughs> is that, not shockingly, no one has been worthy. So, obviously, no one knows the location to this day. Just got to get Thor over there. Thor's worthy. Yeah. I don't know. I saw that first movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> when he was all angry and arrogant. Maybe. Maybe. So, the next story that I have is probably my favorite, for sure. It's the Tomb of the Vampire. Mm. Yes. So, sometime in the mid-1800s, all over town, people were finding dead animals that had been blood-sucked, that had the blood sucked out of them. Uh, It's not a vampire, it's a chupacabra, duh. (sighs) Duh. But anyway, this Chupacabra's just getting all food adventures. (laughs) Not just goats for him. I'm going to suck everything. He'll he'll do it all. (laughs) (laughs) So, this went on for a few months. I'm just imagining this, like, slutty chupacabra. He's like, I'll do anything. You can't stop me. Ooh, look at that. Look at that gopher. Go give me some of that. He's so trashy. <laughs> Even pigeons. <laughs> um. So, where was I? I think- I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, no, we're, we're good. We're good. So, this went on for a few months. And although people were not happy with it, uh, no one was really panicking, of course. I mean, sure, animals. I mean, that totally sucks, especially if it's cattle, like if it's valuable. However, people really freaked out because it started happening to infants. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Immediately, there was a mob that was formed and uh, decided to hunt down the vampire themselves. They set up a trap by having most people stay inside their homes for at least a week if not longer, however long it took, because they assumed that at some point um, the vampire would have to go out and seek for food. Sure. And there were people out stationed in different locations, uh, especially hotspots where people have either died or a- they found animals yeah. and whatnot to see if they can find whoever it was that was doing this. So the group was actually able to capture a few suspicious people that not just figured kind of looked a little weird, mm-hmm. but also had known ties to the community. <laughs> the old goths. They're like <laughs> super gothy and pale. Not not looking good for them for sure. Anyway, eventually they did settle on one person in particular that did not look at all like they belonged in the air. I don't know. Like they just were like. They stood out like a sore thumb. They stood out like crazy. They were basically a hermit and they had qualities that they believed were vampiric they, they even had that in the description, like it look, he looked like a vampire. And so they, of course, thought, this is the guy, and they drove a stake through his heart. They murdered him. They also decided to bury him at the Bellin Cemetery uh, with the stake in place so that he doesn't return. Sure. I mean, if you're going to commit murder for them being a vampire, you might as well like, go all you the way. You have to do the commit whole thing. You got to do the whole thing. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, okay. 
I suppose they did find the right guy because the animals and no more babies were murdered after this killing. So this guy may have been scum and he may have been doing it, he may but have he been wasn't doing... a vampire. Vampires aren't real. <laughs> but they found the creatures like drained of blood. I mean, you can still do that as a human. I mean, it's just but they weird. would feel they would see puncture holes. No, too. Well, I mean that's where you get the blood out. No, no, no. I know, but like <laughs> it's very difficult in the 1800s yeah. to do this. I, I don't know. Maybe there was like a crazy doctor or something. But I'm also I'm also assuming that their examination wasn't flawed. I mean. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like you would know, though, even at that time. I'm willing to believe this person was crazy and caused all the problems, but not doing this vampire thing. Yeah. Or there was a real vampire and they were like, bye. You guys got the wrong dude. I'm going to bounce. So <laughs> I'm gonna who go knows? To another village. <laughs> I'm going to go to a different village. I'm just going to go back to Europe because I'm super pale. They won't, they won't <laughs> suspect me. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, today, if you go to the grave... You'll see a giant tree over the tombstone. The tree is massive and has thick roots that wrap around like tentacles above the grave. Oh, that's cool. It looks crazy, this tree. Anyway, some people say that when a branch is cut off, there's red substance that drips out of it. Mm, like it's blood sap. bleeding. Blech. I mean, I know that exists, though. Who knows? What if the tree is growing deep down with its roots so it can eventually remove the stake from the heart and bring it back to life. <laughs> the slow game. I like Sorry, it. It's totally like the plot of like a next vampire movie. It's just there. Oh wait, is it a real one or like No, no I just think that should be written. It's it's, just, it's a good idea. They should write a movie about this guy. <laughs> Maybe they did. <laughs> should look into it. I did not see anything pop up, but I'd believe it. Uh, so anyway, there is also a metal bar fence around the tree so that no one can go in and tries to cut down the trees because they believe that if the tomb is disturbed, the vampire will return and take revenge on the angry mob's descendants. So there are people who are afraid of this. Man, and when you consider how people like multiply, that's a lot of descendants. Exactly. Right like he's going to go crazy. Even if it was only like three people, that's got to be like a hundred people now. Right. Exactly. At least for sure. Especially because back in like the 1800s, early 1900s, people were just having lots of kids. Everyone for sure. Everyone had like 12 siblings. So yeah, my yeah. dad's like one of five, six siblings. And that's not even the 1800s. So yeah, that was, that was World War II. <laughs> that was, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, those are kind of the big highlights. There are other stories, of course, but not as creepy. And plus, I don't want to run out of time today. And anyway, <laughs> I will I will say a few personal experiences that I was able to find, in particular on YouTube. You know, like, you got your ghost hunters, right? Absolutely. So let's get into that. In 2010, a TV show that would hire paranormal investigators in various locations so like they the show would go to places and hire local mediums and things like that to investigate for them and they would just have a show they were in particular uh, at this point around nachito's grave and the medium was saying that she had brought him chocolates and stuff she was talking to the camera and she's like i brought him chocolates hopefully we can see something blah 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 anyway they replayed the audio while she was saying this and you can hear a child's voice say, hello, what did you bring me? Wait, 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 wait. But in Spanish. Okay, that was my question. <laughs> that was my big question. I'm translating. drove me nuts at ghost hunting shows. They'll go like, like to something that's 1700s Germany in there. And they no. talk to me and I'm like, they didn't even, they don't speak modern English. They probably didn't even speak old English. What is wrong with these? Okay, if they're saying in this- Spanish, that, okay. When uh, I heard it, it was that's better. clearly Spanish. Awesome. Yes. Okay. I'm just, I just went to the trans- <laughs> so translation. Happy. So in 2015, there was another ghost hunting team. And they had set up cameras, again, all over the cemetery. And the following day, when they you know, were reviewing the footage or all the recordings, sure. they heard an EVP that was located near Nachito's grave yet again. In a childlike voice, it said... Hey, you found my grave. Now give me a little piece of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) That actually does sound like the way a kid would reply. Yeah, he's like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You found my fort. Feed me. Yeah, I was like, I'm hungry. I like that. Uh, There is also in the cemetery a monk that has been spotted roaming around. A monk? A monk. Okay. It said that he will choose to appear either in real life or on camera. So, for example, there was an incident where multiple people were filming near a chapel all at the same time, 
And after reviewing the footage, it was discovered that only one camera captured the monk. Mm. Even though there were multiple in that time frame. So he's like, <laughs> little camera, I choose you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Exactly. The monk, when it appeared, it was coming from underneath a staircase and then eventually disappeared from out of frame. And it was very obvious. And from everyone's accounts, no one saw this figure. It was black. It looked really out of place. And so I feel like I would, I think if I saw a monk. Did you see the picture? Yes. So I saw the video. Was it creepy? It was kind of creepy. Oh, I need to see this. (laughs) Yeah. I'll show it to you later. Trust me. Hey, I always want to see visual aids, except for that one painting we did last week. Oh, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I can't do that stuff. I don't want to know the names you're not supposed to hear because they're haunted, and I don't want to see the images that are haunted. But everything else, I need it. It's solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so today, before the pandemic, of course, people were able to visit the cemetery during the day, but there were also tours available at night. People had the option to either wander on their own or have a tour guide. There is an extra fee to take pictures, but that's pretty common in a lot of places. Absolutely. I read the hours on the website and they say they're open, but when I saw the reviews of people who have been there, they said, no, it was closed, you know, for the pandemic or whatever, and still are, I guess. Yeah, you can't trust any website during the pandemic. No, you really can. So I guess my recommendation is if you're in the area and you really want to go now, please call ahead (laughs) because I don't know if they're open. Absolutely. But that is my last advice. Otherwise, have fun if you go. And that is my story. Would you go? Hell yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Me too. I want to see the bleeding tree so bad. I know. That sounds pretty cool. And well, I would I would bring a little Spider-Man for little Nacho. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, obviously, you have to bring a little toy. Uh, the tree, you can't really get to. Like I said, it's, like, fenced off now. So you couldn't, like, even cut into but it I can if you see want to. It. No, oh, I, you I, can I, totally I, cut no, it. No, I don't want to see it because I want to get my cut on. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. I just want to see the tree. No. I'm, I'm like, not, calm down, emo kid. I, I'm not here to start some... Uh, Start a tussle. A curse? Yeah, no. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited. I want to see all of it. I I just think it looks like a cool place. I'm pretty interested. I'd see this. But I mean, when are we going to be in Guadalajara? I don't know. Probably not anytime soon. But Yeah, I mean, we still want to go to Mexico, but that's not even high on my list of places I want to go to Mexico. Yeah, so. I guess so. For sure. Anyway, I think it's time for us to have another drink <laughs> it's yeah, going I, so well for us i need i need another shot before i get to my story because i Ooh. thought i was gonna be a little bit more i'm not though so i need to a little more what a little more there but i'm not <laughs> so okay. i need another shot and then i've got a story for you so Woo-hoo. we'll be back in a few minutes guys okay we're back and we are not buzzed <laughs> No, but I'm working on it. Just did another fresh shot. Uh, We're not just doing shots. We are also drinking Oktoberfest beer because even though it isn't even September when Oktoberfest normally takes place, all the beer companies have been pushing it really hard. Really hard, yeah. And I'm okay with that because Oktoberfest style beers, fest beers, and and uh, Meritsons and whatnot tend to be like my favorite kinds of beer. So I'm happy. Yeah. Anyway, rum and Oktoberfest is on the brain. <laughs> it's in the tummy. And now it's time for an end of episode encounter, 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 encounter. Woohoo! So last week we covered the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, mm-hmm. which was an interesting story that involved a shootout between people in a farmhouse <laughs> and what they described as alien attackers. Now it's actually a pretty funny story, and if you haven't heard it, I recommend checking it out. There's kind of a twist to it and an explanation, but I want to make sure you guys. I'm not going to ruin it. So I'm going to leave that for you guys. But the main reason it was so interesting is that it actually involved gunshots and conflict between people and what they said were aliens. Right. Which is not something you hear about often when it comes to UFO sightings, alien encounters, and everything. It's usually you have, like, just a human witnesses something or they're a victim and they're abducted or whatnot. Like, humans fighting back and humans being aggressive. It's not that common. Except that one time where they played chicken. That was badass. Right. Those are my favorite stories. Stupid. But awesome. (laughs) Well, and like that, it turns out that wasn't the only time something unexplained was met with a forceful human reaction. Today, I'm going to talk about what has been dubbed the Gorman dogfight. Gorman dogfight? I've never heard this. So I don't know about you, just real quick before I go into the story, but whenever I hear the name Gorman, I can't help but think of Lieutenant Gorman from the film Aliens. 
And yeah. when him and Vasquez are in the tunnel, and he pulls out the grenade because there's no escape, <laughs> and, and don't he's, about they to, like... he's about to like blow them up, and and Vasquez looks and goes, "You always were an asshole, Gorman," and then they like blow themselves up. They don't high five before. No, no, they both are like holding the explosion um, together. Okay, I was like, don't they hold their hands or something? Oh, okay, yeah, you're it's right. It's actually like I don't want to get too di- like off topic, but one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite horror films. But that scene was really cool because Gorman was like always treated like. No one respected him the whole time, sure. but it was at that final moment when the most badass person on the military squad, they're like, it was like the solidarity. Like, Great moment. Yeah, like, we're in it together for sure. This story that we're going back to, the guy's name is Gorman, and he is also a lieutenant, which is pretty cool. Hey. Except he does seem to be respected. Anyway, this is a classic UFO story, and by that, I mean it hits all the classic tropes. Takes place right around the 1950s. It involves the military, mass media attention, and a very questionable, unsatisfying explanation. (laughs) This encounter took place on the evening of October 1st, 1948, in the skies above Fargo, North Dakota. So, apparently something else happened there apart from the movie. (laughs) Oh, Fargo, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, It was a cool night, and at 8 p.m., the local agricultural college's bison football team kicked off their game against... Augustana. It's not super relevant, but I'm kind of painting the picture that it's just a normal day in a normal small Town. area. Sure. Yeah. George Gorman, who was a native of Fargo, had recently become a second lieutenant in the North Dakota National Guard. Before that, he served in World War II as a B-25 instructor. Hmm. It's important to demonstrate that this guy had experience with both flying and with the military. On this particular evening, Gorman and several other pilots were flying their P-51 Mustangs over Fargo. Around 8.30 that night, all the pilots decided to end their flights and retire for the night. Gorman, however, felt that he wanted to stay in the air a little longer due to the quality of the cloudless conditions. That is important. It's a good night. It is. All alone, Gorman logged another 30 minutes of flight time, passing over the football game below. Gorman contacted the control tower in order to make landing preparations. They informed him that a small plane, known as a Piper Cub, was the only plane in the area. Gorman noted that he could see the plane about 500 feet below him. So it was established. like Good visibility. He can see it. It's there. He notices it. Now it's been eliminated as a possibility. Ah. A few moments later, Gorman spotted a light on his right. Another story said to the west, which would be his left. Uh, well, depending on which way he's facing. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> sure. He wasn't quite sure what it was. The light appeared to be blinking, and he initially assumed it was the taillight of another plane. Mm. However, he had difficulty making out the shape of the vehicle. This was strange considering how good the weather was and how easy it was for him to make out the Piper Cub below. He contacted the control tower asking about the light. The control tower reiterated that there was no sign of any other plane in the vicinity. Mm. And that the radar screen was clear, except for the two previously reported planes, his and the Piper. Sure. Gorman then contacted the Piper Cub plane below, asking if they also could see the light. Both the pilot and the passenger of the Piper confirmed that, yes, they could see the oh, light. Oh, so the other pilot did too. They can see it now too. <gasps> oh my so now God. we have multiple witnesses already. Yeah. Official witnesses, right? in my opinion. It's possible it might have been part of protocol, but to me, what Gorman did next feels like a move straight from a movie. <laughs> he decided that he was going to pursue the light and investigate. <laughs> it's a total horror movie. He's like, I'm going to check it out. He's like, stand back, pilot. No. But he is military, and he was flying military craft. It wasn't just like an off-duty police officer. Like He might have had to do so. I'm not sure. Oh, that's actually true. I don't know, but it totally felt like a movie scene. Like, I'm going to check this no, out. No, but the, no, that's true. Like If it's a threat, like not... On the radar, we need to make sure. But it's why not do like... we have a threat in Fargo? <sighs> you can't a get wild... further from either coast. It could be like a wild missile gone wrong or something. I don't know. All right, so <laughs> he does decide to investigate it. Okay. Though. He approached the light at his plane's top speed, which is around 400 miles per hour. Wow. Which yeah. is quite fast at the time. I mean, slow yeah. by today's standards, but that's not. No, but it's no. yeah. As he got closer, he noticed that the object was moving away from him at incredible speeds, so fast that he couldn't keep up with it. Mm. 
as it moved, its blinking stopped, and the light became a more sustained, brighter glow. It was more intense as it got faster and faster. Gorman noted that the object appeared to be, quote, about six to eight inches in diameter, clear white, and completely without fuzz at the edges, end quote. In later interviews, he mentioned that it made no sound and created no exhaust or smell. Before mm-hmm. I continue, I want to point out he was able to spot a tiny little eight-inch light. That just shows how good visibility is, because we're going to get back to this in a little bit. Oh, man. On a clear night, you can see everything. I, I have I, no doubts. I know, but I mean, when you're going 400 miles an hour and you're traveling much like, no, but massive if it was, distances. But if it was far en- enough away, you're not passing it at 400 miles per hour. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, but I think if someone in- put an eight-inch light three miles away from us, we might not be able to see it. Just saying. If mm. in a, in a unobstructed view i don't know because like this is also fargo there probably wasn't a lot of pol- light pollution so and in the 40s yeah i think that's things a fair might have been more apparent like it would catch your eye might be right i don't know might be right and i think this will be good as we discuss some of the explanations later mm. on so gorman then decided that the only way he was going to catch this object was to cut it off because it was far too fast for his mustang after a few turning maneuvers he noticed the light changed course immediately and headed straight towards his plane Gorman stated that, quote, the object came so close that I involuntarily ducked my head because I thought a crash was inevitable, end quote. The object passed directly above the plane, only to change directions and come straight at his plane again. Just before it impacted his plane, it once again changed course, but this time it shot straight up, rapidly climbing in altitude. Mm -mm. Gorman pursued the object, but the limitations of his P-51 meant he stalled out around 14,000 feet. Mm Mm-hmm. Back on the ground, several other witnesses saw the situation unfolding. In the control tower, L.D. Jensen and H.E. Johnson, I don't know why I didn't get their full names. They were just, (laughs) it's such a military thing. L.D. Jensen. Anyway. It totally is. So Jensen and Johnson both spotted the light in the sky. They could see it from the control tower. Jensen clearly saw the light speeding away from the P-51 at immense speed. Johnson later described the light as, quote, only a round light, perfectly formed, with no fuzzy edges or rays leaving Uh, its body, end quote. So that would assume, like, it it wouldn't be technically a light, but rather the vessel itself, if there was no... Possibly, yeah. But I don't know. But this means that the people on the ground were seeing exactly what Gorman was seeing So there was, like, an agreement, like, we got this. They're seeing it moving fast, and it's a light, and they can't see anything else. And they're still not detecting it at all. Exactly. Okay. In case any skeptics might be convinced that everyone was mistakenly seeing the Piper Cub from earlier, mm-hmm. I take pleasure in mentioning that during this time, not only did the Piper Cub land... <laughs> They're like, I'm so out of here. But the pilot and passenger made their way to that very control tower to see what was happening uh, in the sky. And they saw it too, by the way. They were watching it and right. witnessing it. You know. But in addition to these four, two other employees of the airport on the ground claim to have seen the light as well. So we have a lot of witnesses who so are like seeing this. So like separate to the airport, like not. They were in the airport, but they weren't up in the tower. So they were just on the ground. So they wouldn't they even been it. informed. They just saw they it. They just saw oh, Okay, it. sure. Yeah, exactly. So it was noticeable. Like this was noticeable. Yeah. Back in the sky, Gorman continued to chase the light. At one point, straying as far as 25 miles from the airport. Mm. After momentarily losing sight of the object, he spotted it 3,000 feet below him. In an aggressive maneuver to catch up with the object, Gorman executed a fast dive towards the object. As he closed in on it, it rapidly changed direction and made a vertical climb, passing the aircraft and disappearing out of visual range. At this point, Gorman decided to abandon his pursuit and land his plane. Yeah. It was 927, and he had been chasing the light for 27 minutes. Holy moly. Which makes this an incredibly long, unidentified encounter. Yeah. Probably the longest we've ever seen with a single witness. Or, or like or, a single participant. Oh, right. Usually, I mean, if people have seen lights, it's it's going between like five witnesses over a period of time. Because mm-hmm, it moves, yeah. For, for one consistent witness, I think would be the wrong, the right way to say it. Surprisingly enough, within just a few hours of the incident, several military personnel, all of which were part of the top secret government study known as Project Sign, showed up to investigate the situation. Mm. I'll talk more about Project Sign in this a little bit later. Okay. In an official interview, Gorman had this to say of the account, quote, I'm convinced that there was definite thought behind its maneuvers. I am further convinced that the object was governed by the laws of inertia because its acceleration was rapid, but not immediate. Okay. 
and although it was able to turn fairly tight at considerable speed, it still followed a natural curve. When I attempted to turn with the object, I blacked out temporarily, <gasps> temporarily due to excessive speed. Oh, oh my God, my God. I thought like he lost time. Mm. Oh, I see, no, I see. No, no, okay, no. yeah, yeah. I'm in fairly good physical condition, and I do not believe that there are many, if any, pilots who could withstand the turn and speed affected by the object and remain conscious. Mm. The object was not only able to turn and outspeed my aircraft, but was able to attain a far steeper climb and was able to maintain a constant rate of climb far in excess of my aircraft, end quote. During the investigation, Geiger counter readings were taken of Gorman's P-51. Oh, my God. High levels of radioactivity were discovered emanating from the plane, suggesting it may have been near an atomic-powered object. So, the mm. fact that they even had... The idea the, to do this uh, is the people from uh, Project Sign who they were like, did that. Uh, "We know." Yeah. Woo. So let's get to some explanations. Okay. I want to talk about the radiation first. Despite the fact that Geiger counters measured heightened radiation levels on the plane, it has been suggested by some, including the military personnel of Project Sign, that this was due to the high altitude in which Gorman was flying. At higher altitudes, planes have less protection against atmospheric radiation. It has been suggested that the levels of radiation are not out of the realm of reason for the exposure it would have undergone during the dogfight. Okay. I am kind of okay with this explanation. Sure. Part of me would like to think if we had advanced alien crafts that were atomic powered and create no exhaust or sound, it would be reasonable to assume that they might have a better way of shielding from radiation. But at the same time- From I themselves, maybe. Possibly. But- but I was also kind of upset because I didn't get any specific readings. And I do know that they talk about how when you fly on 747 airlines, you're exposed yeah. to more radiation. I get oh, that. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. But I didn't get any, they didn't give a specific reading so we could actually compare it. Were they saying this is the explanation because it, you know, made sense in most people at the time who knew very little about how radiation worked because this was the atomic age I would age like to know began. the readings too because if it I was... I want to know more. Because I feel like it would compound. Obviously, you would get the radiation from natural, like atmospheric, like limitation of the protection yeah. of the ozone layer and then also whatever was emanating. Exactly. So with this explanation, I am 100% willing to buy it as long as the readings made sense, but I don't have those. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I'm like, like, you could be bullshitting me and a lot of people are buying it because it actually is a sound explanation, but only if the numbers match. That's right. all that matters. Like right. it's, it's sound if the, and maybe they did, but I wasn't able to see numbers. Sure. Okay. And, that's, and that I want. No, that makes sense. All right. So let's talk about the object that Gorman saw. Well, apparently the Air Weather Service claimed that they released a lit weather balloon around 10 minutes Damn them. before Gorman made his first report. Ah, uh, yes. The weather balloon that can move yes, at exceeding speed. Let's, yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> this has rapidly become the dominant explanation, and it assumes that Gorman wasn't capable of discerning that the object's rapid movements were actually just a perception issue, an illusion, if oh you my- will, <laughs> of a much slower object and his uh, compared to his plane's rapid speed. Oh, man. They also claim that when he lost visual with the balloon, this is, this is the icing on the cake. Sure. That when he would lose visual that he might have confused the light of Jupiter in the sky. Jupiter again? Uh Uh-huh. Again. As being evidence of it having moved to incredible altitudes rapidly. You realize, I've seen Jupiter with a naked eye, and it is obviously, I would think it was a star if I didn't know any better. As a pilot, that's insulting. So there is no information from the Air Weather Service as to why they launched a balloon and what the balloon was supposed to do. (laughs) Just conveniently that they did. Sure. I have a really hard time with this weather balloon explanation. I, I really want there to be a rational explanation, but this one bothers me. Gorman was an experienced pilot, and I really think it is insulting to assume he could not yes. comprehend what a slow object would look like while flying his plane. And he was considered a credible witness and had no history of talking or engaging in fantastical ideas like UFOs or aliens. This guy wasn't talking about it. He wasn't a UFO fanatic like so many witnesses can be. He was a normal military guy who people considered grounded and rational and all of a sudden they're just like no 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 he was just an idiot because he didn't understand that he was flying past a a balloon that was just going up yeah also um what if you have any information you might talk about this later but did he have any kind of like 
response or anything to this? Oh, oh yeah. We, I, I okay. get to that towards the end. He does have one simple response. I but figured, we'll get to it. but okay. okay. I would also like to point out that I think a bright light on the balloon, and this goes into what you were talking about earlier about how clear and no light pollution, but yeah. in my opinion, if you have a bright light that can be spotted thousands of feet away by a plane that's moving 400 miles an hour and people can see it down on on the ground at, yeah. at an altitude of 1,600 feet, I would assume that light is bright enough to at least partially illuminate the balloon above it that is making it rise. Oh, oh, yeah, To think yeah, yeah. that I the balloon is completely invisible, it, you could assume a balloon would be invisible at night, you know, I can understand that, but if it's got yeah. a bright light, below it so bright that all these people can see it at incredible distances i think it has just enough light on it and it's obviously not being reflected by and like you said there's no light pollution and everything like that there should be just enough light in my opinion that you would be able to see part of a balloon and it would 20 in 27 minutes of chasing this thing he would see part of a balloon especially if by his accounts being so close to it almost thinking it was going to crash into it yeah exactly of course of course and i'd also like to point out that the witnesses on the ground were also able to make out that the light was moving at speeds far in excess of the P-51. They mm-hmm. were stationary. Yeah. This this balloon theory was saying that the pilot was confused, but these people were on the ground not moving. They saw the plane and this object, and they claimed that this light was moving at rapid speed. So this explanation yeah. ignores four credible witnesses who saw they're this. like going the speed of earth and they're like it's literally going faster i mean obviously yeah and i have a real hard time with that now i've seen a lot of balloons and i know when they get caught in certain jet streams and when they're uh rising they can move at pretty fast speeds i actually saw a weather balloon that i thought was a ufo until like it hit the news <laughs> that it was and it wasn't moving that fast it was you, actually pretty darn slow you told this story yeah i told I it on it. a previous episode what episode i don't even know but it but, was a while ago but i would say that a weather balloon or even a hot air balloon changing its direction rapidly and moving at excessive speeds that's not what happens it's just yeah. not what they do right. they're moving fast but they're not moving so fast that someone from the ground's like man it's just changing direction moving <laughs> faster than 400 miles an hour it's just not happening and I'd also, I wanted to talk a little about the radar. So nothing came up on radar. And I did look into this. Radar is a tricky thing because I was reading through people questioning and giving answers. And I couldn't tell who was qualified and who wasn't. Well, there are people yeah. who was, who said that a balloon like this would have shown up on radar. And other people saying absolutely not. Saying we're just talking about like mylar or cloth and air and for the most part they would look invisible and then other people saying they absolutely would show up because even birds show up on radar i don't know enough about radar so it's just a complicated thing it's out of my realm of understanding but at this point i think the radar was never addressed every story i read they never talked about that radar issue oh, okay so sure. i don't know where this is going maybe it would not have shown up on radar maybe it would have but no one talked about it and i do think we should talk about the radar showed nothing and that's all we know that's all we know so the other issue i have is with the rapid arrival of project sign personnel so we're getting back to project sign yes i plan on doing more a more detailed coverage of what project sign was in a further episode and i will because it's such a huge thing yeah but here's an important quick rundown of what project sign is or you know was is the more appropriate term Project Sign was an official government project created in 1948, that same year, to investigate UFOs. This isn't conspiracy theory stuff. This has been officially acknowledged by the military as having existed. Project Sign existed for 1948. It became a different research project the next year, and then that formed into something else. And we'll get all to that one in a future episode. That's what they want you to think. Right? So there are two things about the formation of Project Sign that make it of particular interest to ufologists and skeptics alike, especially related to this story. The first is that it was formed in 1948, to which there were three high-profile UF sightings. The one I'm talking about today is considered one of the three high-profile sightings. Okay. So we didn't have all these high-profile sightings beforehand. There were some high-profile sightings, but all of a sudden, when this gets formed, we have three that Mm. same year. Is it because now they're researching them and other ones weren't talked about? What's going on? Is there something else happening here? It could be. I mean, this is just like maybe not trying to be like the conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. Remember, I've had two shots of rum. Anyway... So, 
this organization that you're talking about said it was established the same year. Yeah, it was. It was. It was established in 1948. Sure, was, assuming yeah. that's when it was. Mm-hmm. Also, um, yeah, let's pretend it was. Like literally, that's the first year, and they have to investigate all these things, whether or not anything came out of them. Who knows? Yeah. So the big question is, was it? When it was created, all of a sudden they started detecting stuff and writing the reports on it, and that's why we see so many that year. Or was it created in tandem with government projects, you know, uh, top secret military aircraft stuff, you know, that has nothing to do with aliens or UFOs, where it was kind of created in tandem with that so that they could deal with it you know it's kind I of guess, like yes but why would you deal with it that way it's that like sounds... their pr department i don't know it, i don't know these are okay. good questions to de- derail maybe other projects and I possibly don't know. or because yeah or because they wanted to make sure that their top secret experimentations that they're like yes this is a top secret thing and it's not something else like mm-hmm. they're doing new stuff and they want to make sure yeah my second issue is that investigators working for project sign were able to show up at Fargo within a few hours of this incident. Fargo is a relatively remote area in the Midwest. This is before jet engines, so getting people out there would take a while. Like, if they were flying from Washington, you're not getting there in a couple hours. It's just not happening. Yeah. And and I mean, even if they were, once the incident was reported, they were on the plane in five minutes, they're not going to show up in two hours. It's not happening. So the fact that these people showed up is actually something that really bothers me about it because there's a lot of different meanings that this could have. Perhaps investigators were already in the area. If so, why were they in the area? Perhaps Project Sign was a much more massive undertaking than reports have led us to believe, so there could have been people everywhere. So when they showed up a couple hours later, you actually had people from Project Sign in Fargo because they had departments everywhere. If so, why was it so massive and widespread? Because the reports and unclassified information that was released about it, it was not that big of a program. It maybe, existed. Maybe it was one of those things that like there was it was more of a protocol and people since it was a military you know, like you said, there were pilots and military yeah. procedures being ha- held there or whatever. Uh and in a case of an, an emergency and I say emergency, like there is now a reason for this department to come in and investigate they just grab some military personnel that were like hey mm-hmm. we can't get there but this is what we need you to do they they uh what's i don't know what it's called but like you it's know like when saying? you bring people into your like forces i forget what the term is yeah i know i know exactly what you're talking about yes yeah, so that's actually a good theory yeah so like you know there's a protocol and they just followed it and say we're part of Blah, blah, blah. You're, you're working for us at this moment. Yes, yeah, you are now fair. an agent. I didn't even think about that. That's pretty smart. And maybe they made them start the interviews, and by the time people could get there, they took over the they investigation. They were like, we okay. got this. Yeah. All right, I like that. That one actually sounds pretty smart and not tinfoil hat. I like okay. that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I was saying the other answer I had is that Project Sign had assumptions something was going to happen that night, and they were prepared, and they already had agents in the area. Yeah. So to me, I'm spitballing. This is just a 100% chase theory. I didn't read this anywhere. If that were the case, Mm -hmm. it could have been that they knew something was happening. Like they were testing a new device. And and they wanted their people there because, like I said, maybe they're doing um, crowd control, damage Mm -hmm. control and whatnot. If people saw something, like they could jump in and just be like, oh, yeah, you saw a weather balloon. And that makes sense. Because that was an explanation that they've been using a lot oh, up yeah. to this point. Like I said, that actually does make sense because they didn't actually anticipate this guy to fly for another 30 minutes or so. Yeah, he was doing a little They were weird. like, oh, yeah, there's going to be some sort of like pilot Had he wrapped exercise. up with everyone else, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, right, because they would have been like, what is that? Or maybe they would have had those other people being like, you know what I mean? You would have maybe locals or someone like come up with stories and stuff like that. And they, maybe they didn't even anticipate that. But whatever, if it was military or government then the object would have reacted to the pilot versus doing performing its own thing. Absolutely. Whatever that may be, which sounds too advanced at the time, so who knows. But I think what we have here is an issue that we have this explanation, but there's a lot of things that are kind of confusing to me. And I know it's so easy to say, like, oh, my God, there's a whole lot of cover-ups, but 
there's some weird stuff going on for sure. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, it it's not neatly wrapped up in a bow. And I think all the stories you hear about don't get wrapped up in a bow. And that's why we hear about them. Because the ones that do, no one talks about. Because like, oh, there's a super simple explanation. So let's talk about the aftermath of this. Because I think it's really important. Project Sign and all subsequent government UFO investigative operations officially consider this to be simply an interaction between Gorman's plane and a lighted weather balloon. This is... The official explanation so is a weather balloon with... Con- so lame. ...confusion with Jupiter. And I have a hard time believing that an experienced and talented person... I just don't think so. I don't There's either. no way. It's not what happened. Something did happen out there, and I'm not saying it was an alien. I'm not saying that at all. But something happened, and they're just saying that it was a weather That's balloon. It's like the lamest explanation officially the case is considered closed gorman went on to live a relatively quiet life after this event and never spoke publicly about his encounter really his interviews were strictly on record official military interviews he seemed to be a relatively loyal and respectable guy like he just committed to this however According to some of his friends, you know, so he passed away in the 80s from a form of cancer. I don't remember which one it was. Mm. He retired from the military, you know, no issues. He wasn't silenced or anything like that. Yeah. But according to his friends that mentioned this, as far as I can tell, after he passed away, he never believed he was in a 27-minute dogfight with a balloon. (laughs) As far as I can tell from what they said, he does not agree with the official statement. But he never went out and publicly did it because I think he believed in his service he was he was a good military soldier like he he was loyal and that's commendable and awesome and that also, should be respected just the terminology they use saying dogfight that's a very military term yeah he and there's no bullets firing when i first yeah. read it i'm like oh there was some shooting mm-hmm. there wasn't it was a chase it was a chase right but at the same time it could have been something that he thought was um i think he interpreted it threatening at first yeah for exactly sure. But this event, however, has become a hotly debated issue between ufologists and skeptics alike. Like all good UFO stories, there are enough loose ends to ensure that no explanation feels 100% satisfactory. At this point, I think Chase Theory, (laughs) he did encounter something. Mm -hmm. I believe him. It was weird. Do I think it was aliens? Probably not. I think with the showing up of the government, I have a feeling they were undergoing classified tests of new military technology he happened to catch it maybe they were excited to just see what his response was to it like we can go we can go with this and then you know test it with like another uh person that's not involved and either either the the balloon did get launched and it became an awesome scapegoat or they were able to just fudge numbers and say you launched a balloon Mm. and then the the weather agency's like yes we launched a balloon (laughs) I, I don't know. My assumption is this might have been some sort of military top secret project that this poor guy dealt with and he'll never he never knew what yeah. happened before he died. I don't necessarily think it's aliens, but I can guarantee you one thing. I 100% don't believe the weather balloon story. Whether or not there was a weather balloon is not the point. Whether or not he saw a weather balloon, that is, and I don't think he did. Yeah. I think it was a UFO for sure. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> Tiny little aliens that fit in an eight-inch UFO. Uh, time and space is not a problem for them. Oh, since they're big inside, they just got their little. It's just their little light. <laughs> it might be a TARDIS. You don't know. What if it's like the size of of Jupiter? Oh, maybe they did see Jupiter-sized object. It was just tiny. It's a lot further than it looked. Filled or with lots of like, tiny aliens that got big. Yeah. Hey, man, there are some tiny alien uh, sightings that I've heard of, so you never know. I just watched a Rick and Morty episode where he he developed a battery that has its own civilization inside that generates his energy form, and he keeps shrinking himself down. I'm like, okay, I'm used to the idea of people being tinier in little mini universes i also saw an episode of futurama where bender created a whole civilization on his butt (laughs) so anything is possible guys (laughs) wait is this the same butt that had the code for time travel tattooed on it okay it's a very important butt he's got important real estate on that ass (laughs) you couldn't afford it well anyway that is my end of episode encounter And, like I said, there were three major UFO encounters that were part of Project Sign 1948. I plan, over a very short period of time, to cover all three of them. And then I'm going to launch into Project Sign and talk about this 
completely declassified government investigation Ooh. thing. I li- I want to just point out declassified because a lot of people are like, oh, he's talking about something that may or may not exist. I'm talking about stuff that the government says this existed. Here's paperwork. <laughs> okay. So whatever the report because it makes it more interesting and exciting. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm going over the next you know however long to get to these stories. So that's just a heads up. So that's the that's the story I got for you today. Yay. Okay. I think like because we haven't drank in so long. We need to take a ceremonious exit shot <laughs> that I made up just now. <laughs> and now we get to edit. Oh, my God. Actually, that's like You edit, and I'm going to work on all the other stuff. Yep. That is the way it goes. <laughs> the last one you edited, pretty good. I made some mistakes, though. So no. if you see some rough patches, blame it on my inability. I'm new to this. But you're learning. I'm learning. I'm getting better. Here you go. So anytime you hear editing and it sounds bad, blame it on Chase because I, I don't know what I'm doing. No. I'm Cheers. Woof. So I know it's not Friday 13th when you guys are listening to it, but we did record on Friday 13th and I hope your Friday 13th was awesome. Yes. Thank you guys for joining us today. And if you guys have any suggestions, let us know on our email address, which is podcast at gmail.com. Clearly, we have a social media presence, so I hope you guys join us and also like us because I hear that's a thing that's good. Oh, one more thing. I think I remember asking or requesting that people do this, but I don't know if anyone ever heard the memo or whatever. But like, if you can leave a good review on Apple Podcasts, because I hear that's a really good thing to do, really boosts up our presence. And of course, if you are drinking tonight on Friday and then tomorrow you're like, I need to listen to an amazing show. Well, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye.